Oh, hi, Nisi. Good morning. Well, it's been a wonderful weekend. Wonderful weekend with our Choctaw family as our family combined with many of yours to celebrate the marriage of our youngest daughter, Emily, to Hal Gatewood yesterday morning. One down, three to go. Now for some of you who don't know, on June the 4th of this same year, our eldest daughter, Julia Marie, will also be married. That's a twofer in one year, we say in Oklahoma. And our family will then travel to Miami, Florida for her wedding. That's, in case you didn't get it, that's two weddings I need to pay for in one year. I just wanted you to get the math straight. Now after this second wedding, my wife and I will return to Montreal in order to sell our house and our car. (laughs) In order to, uh, you know, the father of the bride, and they call me the father of the brides. I like that. The father of the bride, when a daughter gets married, you're sad to see your little girl grow up, you know, and and, and leave home and and get married. You dads, you know what that's, that's like. However, when both girls get married in the same year, You're just sad to see your pension plan go and your bank account go. Seriously though, after these exciting times, Lisa and I return to Montreal, Canada to continue with the mission work that you support us to do there. And of course I want to take the opportunity to thank the elders and our mission team here. Uh, Alan Arnold who was up here leading communion and of course Kim Wall, uh, Dayton Cassie who's the elder that kind of is our contact with the other elders, Laura and Diane in the office, all of those who help in keeping us in the mission field in French Canada. And of course we thank the individuals here at Choctaw who privately support us over and above the support we receive from the church itself. We do appreciate you very much for helping us to maintain our ministry. You enable us to do a work that not a lot of people are, are willing to do, you know? Maybe not willing or able because it's a mission that requires certain language abilities and also you need a kind of a flexibility, you know, to work in Montreal. There's got to be a flexibility to work in that particular place. In Montreal, you have to be ready for something different every, it's not the same old, same old. Every day is something different. For example, in the last month, I've been called and asked if I would cast a demon out of someone. Someone called me up and said, could you do that? An exorcism. And I told them, no, this was not the month I was doing exorcisms. (laughs) Someone else requested I say a mass for a dead person. And I told them, no, I don't do masses for dead people. I received a call from someone asking if I'd perform a wedding for two men. Because in Canada, um, they're, um, oh, I can say this here, they're fixing to. I can't say that in Montreal because they wouldn't understand. But in Canada, they're fixing to uh, approve marriage between homosexuals as legal. So someone was calling to find out if I would do one of those. 
On another day, a woman just dropped into the, you know, just knocked on the door, walked in the building, asked for a Bible, said, you know, I don't have a Bible. She somehow assumed that we just gave away free Bibles. And she said, I, my old Bible is worn out and I'd like a new one. And I said, OK, I gave her a Bible and she walked away and I never saw her again. You know, stuff like that happens. I've performed a funeral for an Anglican woman that I never met, for a childhood friend that I hadn't seen in 30 years. Just called me up and said, would you do this for me? And then one day a retired preacher who lives in Montreal sent emails to all Christians living in Quebec and people in Ontario and some in the United States and even in Europe denouncing me for my efforts at trying to reconcile churches that were at war with each other. Just you know, you open your email one day and there's an email trying to get you thrown out of the brotherhood. On another day I explained who God was to a Chinese man who was a lifetime atheist and who knew nothing about Jesus Christ. Never mind Jesus Christ. He had never heard of Jesus Christ. He didn't know anything about God. And he said to me in China I was raised on the idea that there is no God. I was taught specifically he said, you here, you go, to, you, go to, you go to school to find out about God. He said, and I went to school to be taught that there is no God. Who had never read the Bible, who knew nothing at all. Zero. Couldn't even begin to talk to him about who Jesus Christ was. Didn't even know who God was. We had to start, you know, this is a football. You know that, this is where we start. I taught... A small group Bible study, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, three nights a week, January through March, in different places, in Montreal. And in Montreal, I want to tell you, whether it's 20 below zero and it's snowing, a foot of snow, those Bible studies do not, I repeat, do not get canceled. You make it. And then I baptized a teenager from Jamaica who had studied for three months with me, every Tuesday afternoon, 4.30, we had a Bible study together. And she wanted to do that before she felt ready to confess the name of Jesus Christ and be baptized. You know, when I was in college, I was trained as a media evangelist. That was basically my training, to be a media evangelist on radio and television and so on and so forth. But in the last two years in Montreal, I've learned how to work as a one-on-one -on -one evangelist. And I want to tell you this has taught me so much about patience. It's taught me so much about how to rely on God. And I also realize how different things are from, from place to place. Here I've, you know, of course we've been we've been all caught up with the wedding and you know family reunion and all that kind of stuff. But even people that I met, people we talked to, Nobody has talked about the death of the Pope. But in Montreal, I mean 24-7, 24-7 on the news and on the radio, first four or five pages of the city newspaper. Remember, Montreal has a population of three and a half million people, so the newspaper's a big deal. First four or five pages of the newspaper are all stories, every single one of them, about the death of Pope John Paul, died at the age of 84. And I'm sure there's been some coverage here. I'm sure you've seen it. 
He's the spiritual leader and the head of the Roman Catholic Church. It is said that there will have been over two million people that will have filed by his exposed body. Before they had his funeral just a a few days ago. The city of Rome had the biggest funeral for any pope in the history with leaders of governments and dignitaries from over a hundred countries. I mean, in your lifetime, when was the last time anybody who died got that much attention? Even presidents, you know, it's over. A day or two, it's over. They were expecting four, five million people to be in Rome. I mean, it's only a city of three million people. They were expecting two to three million people in addition for the funeral. And in the city where we live, where we minister, this was this is the only thing that people were talking about. Nothing else. I couldn't teach it on anything else. I mean, I got up to preach last week, and I mean, I had to scrap what I was going to say because that's all people were thinking about. In Montreal, there were special religious services held throughout the week. Montreal is an island and there's a, there's a, a, a mountain in the middle of the island That's, and the city is built around this mountain. Bobby knows and Dayton knows. Those of you who've come uh, to visit, you know that. I probably brought you up there. It's one of the things I like to do. And, and there's a cross on top of that mountain that you can see from anywhere in the city representing Christianity, but most especially the Roman Catholic heritage of the uh, city of Montreal. Well, for the last week, they changed the lights on the cross and they put purple lights on the cross to remind everyone about the funeral. And so in the world, especially in the Catholic world, a billion people who profess to be Catholics, they see this as an important and historic event. My question is, how do we see it? How do we see it? We're not Catholic. We're Christians. We're New Testament Christians more specifically. How are we supposed to react to the death of an individual who has such power, such impact, and let's face it, for the majority of the world, represents Christianity for the majority of the world? How do we react? Our response and our reaction should be the same, I would say. The same to any person who's overcome by death, irregardless of their position in society. How do I react? Well, first of all, I react with respect. Whether it's the Pope or our neighbor who works at uh, Albertsons, The passing of a life leaves many with grief and sorrow, and so we must be respectful. I said to our brethren in Montreal, now is not the time to start delineating all the differences that we have with people who happen to be Catholics. This is the wrong time for that. In the case of the Pope, there are many people who are affectedly and deeply 
feeling very uh, emotional about his death and our appropriate response to our Catholic friends and their families is to respect their grief and comfort them in their sorrow. We'd do it for anyone else. Why wouldn't we do it for them? When someone dies, we don't discuss their faults and mistakes at their funeral. (laughs) I mean, we'd like to, but we don't. You know, it doesn't matter. We, We know what we don't agree with, with our Catholic friends. We understand what it is that we don't agree. But certainly now is not the time to point out all those differences. You know, Solomon says, there is an appointed time for everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1. We may not have agreed with what John Paul II taught. We may not have accepted the position that he held in this world. But there is a time for respect and there's a time for debate. And this particular time is a time for respect. So how do we respond? Well, we respond with respect. Another reaction that we should have, I feel, is we should have focused attention. His death should focus our attention. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the writer says, It is appointed for men to die once, and then comes the judgment. As great as he was, as famous as he was, as powerful as he was, John Paul still had to face death just like every other person before and after him. What does it matter that you have 2 million or 20 million or 200 million people that file by your your casket? You're still dead. What does it matter? It doesn't matter to me who comes to my funeral. It doesn't change anything. And this reality should make us afraid. Because if those who are powerful die, then we who are small will certainly not be able to avoid it. He had the best doctors. He had immediate care. He didn't have to wait in line in the emergency room, I guarantee you. And yet, with all the medical advancement and all the care that he had access to, when the time came, he just quit breathing. And that'll happen to all of us. And that should really focus our attention. The Bible says that John Paul will be judged by God for what he did in this life and with his life. In other words, he, like us, will be judged. His position here will not enable him to escape judgment. Just like our position will not enable us to escape judgment, whether we are strong or powerful or wealthy, whether we're leaders in the church or followers in the church, it doesn't matter. We will all be judged. This should also get our attention because God's promise is that all will be judged, no exceptions whatsoever. And so His death, should force us to think about our own sure death and the fact that we will be judged by God. 
You know, we had a lot of people playing the game, you know, uh, I wonder what's going to happen to him and so on and so forth. We had a lot of editorials being written about his life and his accomplishments and what's going to happen. The front page of the Montreal Gazette on the day that he died says, the gates of heaven are opening for John Paul. This was in the newspaper. This was the front page. So the editorial writers were having fun playing the game, you know, playing the judgment game. Well, never mind asking yourself, how will God judge the Pope? You should be asking yourself, how will God judge? Finish it for me. How will God judge me? Yeah. Because you know what? I don't care how God's going to judge the Pope. I don't care. Because how God judges him has absolutely zero effect on me. But how God judges me, oh yeah, that has a big effect on me. And this is a far more important question to be asking myself. So how should I react to the death of the Pope? It should focus my attention on the fact that I also will die and I also will have a funeral of some kind and God will be judging me for what I have done and I can be absolutely sure of that. And this brings me to our final reaction to the death of the Pope and that is his death because it's so widely reported and it's kind of in your face His death should provoke me to renewed faith and obedience to God's word. In John chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, read along with me, an important passage. In John chapter 12, verse 46. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. Notice you can't translate this in some fancy way to make it say something else. There's no doubt about his intention here. He said, I have come as light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. The word I spoke will be the thing that judges you and me on the last day. That's what Jesus says. During this time, you know, we hear all kinds of experts, as I was saying, passing judgment on Pope John Paul's work and his writings and his teachings and his life. And of course there were good things in his life. Of course there were things that he did that had an impact socially. Of course he had a hand in the downfall of communism. Of course he had impact politically. Of course his pronouncement had deep impact in the religious world, especially of those people who are 
professed Roman Catholics. And at this moment in time, the writers are mostly favorable. And no doubt, for the next few weeks, they will proclaim him to be in heaven with God. I mean, there is already an effort to see him as a saint. Some have already said, you know, he should be canonized as a saint. Now this may be the thing to do for Catholic writers and theologians, however. But the Bible says that Jesus himself will measure a person's life based solely on his word. That's what he says. He makes absolutely no distinction between people. Every single person's life will be measured against this word and nothing else. You know what's interesting? Jesus judged his own life and his own worth and his own ministry only against the word of God. And so we can do no less or more for ourselves or for the Pope. I mean, if Jesus measures his own life against God's word, who are we to judge our lives against any other criteria? God is fair. Bible says, for there is no partiality with God. Romans chapter 2 verse 11. So God is fair. John Paul like us, will be judged according to his obedience to God's word. Nothing more, nothing less. And you would want that because that is what would be fair. And we can be sure that God knows his own word and he knows completely the life and the work and the motivation of this man, this pope, And so the judgment on his life will be fair, will be merciful, will be righteous, but will be according to this word. What we should be asking ourselves is not how will God judge John Paul because we don't know his life and this judgment and this judgment doesn't belong to us. What we should be asking ourselves is how will God judge me? Because in the end this is a much more important issue for us than the judgment of the Pope or anybody else. Because a lot of times we're all caught up in thinking how is God going to judge my dead mother? And how is God going to judge my, my dad and my husband? Forget about that. Forget about that. It's not yours. As New Testament Christians, we know that this is the basis for judgment and the death of this man or any person for that matter should force us to re-examine our lives and see if the judgment for us was today, how would we do? That's the question. Every time I do a funeral, I always say, one of these days it's going to be my funeral. What are they going to say? How will I be judged? When I read the word and I'm going through it and I'm reading about do this, don't do that, try this, go for that, aim for this, try this, believe, don't be discouraged, be faithful. You know, when I read through it, what I'm reading is the basis for my judgment. Did I persevere? Did I obey? Did I do this? Did I avoid that? Did I try? That's what's going to judge me. 
And so you should ask yourself, if it was today, you know, who says you're not going to die today? Who says it? What guarantee have we got? We don't have any guarantee. We all want to die in our own beds when we're like 90 plus years old, but you know, it doesn't always work that way. So let's respect our our Catholic friends and our Catholic families. Some of us have Catholic families. We do. Lise and I do. Let's respect them who are sorry that their leader has died. This is the right thing to do. This is the loving thing to do. But let's also realize that even if it will be with less publicity and impact, we too will die one day and face God in judgment. And our question is this, can we say now that we're in obedience to His word? I mean, ask yourself, in the simple things like actually becoming a Christian by repenting of our sins and being baptized and being faithful at worship and, 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 and living lives that are pure and godly, and that's just the kindergarten of Christianity. Those are just the ABCs of Christianity, you know, giving up our bad habits and making church life a priority. You know, I mean, that's like kindergarten stuff. You haven't even been to the high school of the Spirit yet, if that's the thing that you're, you're struggling with. But are you at least doing that? If you happen to be in kindergarten today and you died today, you'd be judged according to the criteria of kindergarten. Would you pass at least out of kindergarten? Am I being obedient in in the more mature areas of the Spirit, like overlooking offenses and forgiving someone else and helping someone, even someone we don't like or don't know very much? Now we're heading into the, the senior high school type of spiritual things. Are we being obedient in that? You don't think God's going to judge you because you refuse to forgive your brother? You think God's going to overlook that? That offense? Can we say we're obeying God's word in the demanding parts of the word where God calls us to leadership and God calls us to ministry? And dare I say it, God calls us to sacrifice where what He asks of us gives us nothing in return except the satisfaction of knowing that we've done His will, period. Sacrifice. Have we even graduated into the university area of spiritual life, leadership, ministry, sacrifice? Are we even obeying there? Brothers and sisters, let's allow this event to refocus our attention and our efforts to obeying God's word, where he is calling us to obey him. And I want to tell you something. You know in your heart where God is calling you. You know it. Don't wait until your funeral to answer the call, because by then it'll be too late. Answer it now. Now that you know what the call is, is the call that I obey the gospel, the simple gospel, I confess that I believe, I'm immersed in the water, I become a New Testament. Is that the call? 
Is the call that I give up some old grudge, is that the call? Is the call that I become more faithful, is that the call? Is the call that I leave everything behind and follow Christ into ministry, is that the call? Is the call that I step up finally and get to back spiritually and do something, is that the call? Is the call that I sacrifice everything, is that the call? How is he calling you? You know it. You know it. The decision is, am I going to put as much effort into answering the call as I put into denying the call? What's it going to be? You know the answer. Harold's going to lead us in a song. During that song, if there are some that need to answer the call, even this morning, then we encourage you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.